This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Well, there it is. Welcome to Insight. Hope everything's going well for you. I'm Chris Van Vliet. If this happens to be your first time here, nice to have you with us. I'm an Emmy award-winning TV host, and I'm fascinated with finding out how people are wired to achieve greatness. On each episode, we have in-depth conversations and reverse engineer the habits and techniques of the world's top athletes, actors, entrepreneurs, you name it. If they're the best at what they do, I want to get their insights so we can apply it to our own life. And just think about the legacy that Rikishi and his family have left behind in wrestling. It's pretty mind-blowing. If you think about it, Sika, Afa, Peter Maivia, The Rock, Jimmy Snuka, Umaga, Yokozuna, Jimmy and Jey Uso, Nia Jax. That's just naming a few of them. Mm-hmm. I actually got Rikishi to go through how he's related to everybody in his family tree. You know, he, you'd think that he'd be destined to be a pro wrestler with all those names I just listed, but he was actually on the path to being dead because mm-hmm. he was hanging out with the wrong people. Growing up, he was shot in a drive-by shooting. We talk about that in great detail, but it was actually wrestling that saved his life. And I can't even tell you how much I enjoyed this conversation and how grateful I am that Rikishi made the time for this. He doesn't do a lot of interviews, so this one one meant a lot to me. Take a screenshot, let us know that you're listening. Tag us on social media so we can say hello and we can retweet it. I'm at Chris Fayamfleet. Rikishi is at the real Rikishi. And if you haven't subscribed yet, let's change that. Let's change that right now. Hit subscribe or hit follow wherever you're listening to this right now. 1798. That's how many reviews Insight with Chris Van Vliet has as I stand here right now. Yeah, I'm standing this time. Usually sitting doing these, standing. Just thought, you know, maybe I'd project my voice a little bit more. Still heading towards that goal, though, of 2,000 reviews before my birthday. So we got a little little over two months till we get till May 19th. So let's do this thing. We have 202 to go. We can easily get to that. Yeah. This review is from username not taken, who says, The GOAT. There is no doubt this is the best podcast ever. Oh, my gosh. Well, that is. That might be a bit of hyperbole, but thank you. It's so awesome to learn about the wrestlers outside the ring and how they really are. I've been watching CVV for a couple of years now, and it's my all-time favorite podcast. Keep up the great work, Chris. Love you, brother. Well, I love you too. Thank you so much for that. Please keep the reviews coming. I'll keep reading one out on every single episode. Before we get to this incredible, dare I say, life-changing conversation, certainly life-affirming, it's been a strange last 12 months, and we've all been staring at our screens way more than usual. And my blue blocks, blue light glasses have really, really changed things for me. Because I was the guy who halfway through the afternoon, 
My eyes were starting to feel heavy. I was, I, I was having trouble getting to sleep at night. I thought it was just because I was overworked because that's all you do when you work from home. You just don't stop. Then I figured out it was from too much blue light. And blue light damages our eyes and leads to digital eye strain. Symptoms of digital eye strain are blurred vision, headaches, dry, watery eyes. For some people, it could even cause heightened anxiety, depression, and low energy. Well, Blue Blocks was created to fix this problem and block out the blue light with high-quality lenses. Unlike other types of blue light glasses, Blue Blocks are evidence-backed and they're made under optics laboratory conditions in Australia. They have over 40 frames to choose from. They come in prescription, non-prescription, and readers. So they have frames for every need. The one that I wear is called Smith. If you follow me on Instagram, I mean, they're pretty stylish, right? Like that Clark Kent vibe there. But most importantly, I just can't say enough good things about how much they've helped with eye strain and how much better I sleep at night as a result of this. And you can too. You can get your energy back, you can sleep better, and you can block out the unhealthy effects of blue light with Blue Blocks. Get free worldwide shipping and 15% off by going to blueblocks.com slash CVV or enter the code CVV15 at checkout. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com slash CVV for 15% off or just use that code CVV15. All right, my guest today is a WWE Hall of Famer. Please welcome the one and only Rikishi. What a pleasure to be joined by Rikishi. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be here, my man. Thank you for having me. You've got a whole setup here. People need to know that you have your own talk show now, your own YouTube channel, Rikishi yeah. Driver Talk Show. And that's why that's why it looks like I'm talking to a radio show host right now. Well, I mean, my, my little 12-year-old boy kind of sets this up for me. I've, like, I have no idea how all this stuff here <laughs> works. But, it, uh, but Chris, it beats taking bumps, you know? You know that if you talk into the microphone, people can hear you. That's all you need to know, right? There it is. I'll adapt real quick. <laughs> but you you keep busy. I mean, uh, I, you're just a few minutes away from me with your wrestling school, which has trained some massive, massive talent in the wrestling industry. Yeah, well, you know, I'm proud to say, you know, Rusev, who is now Miro with AEW, has uh, come out of our school, one of our proud graduates. Uh, we're very proud of his... Uh, you know, his, his accomplishments in the business. And, uh, you know, we, we have a few other, uh, a lot of other students uh, possible that uh, we'll be able to get looked at soon. But, you know, we're right down the street. It's not Sproke, you know, K-N-O-K-X-P-R-O.com. And that, that's what my life is today, Chris. You know, I'm home, you know, kind of, you know, dealing with this, what we're going through here at the, the new norm, I guess. And then most of my time, I'm back over there at the gym, you know, yeah. my heart, my heart's to be able to smarten these kids up in the business. Gangrel has told me many great stories about training at uh, your school. Yeah. Well, Gangrel is another Uso from, I mean, man, we were all raised together with Uncle Alpha and Sika back in the day. So, you know, his training and our training, it's all the same, you know. Now, Bow Wow's talking about training there. Has he begun training yet? Well, I mean, this is the first time, you know, you, you, you got the spoiler here, my man. Um, you know, not yet. You know, we have been talking. And, you know, I, I'm very happy. Let me tell the story about how I met this kid. Please. Bow Wow. And so back in the day, Chris, uh, 
I was actually coming on to a flight in uh, Atlanta. And uh, as I was coming to first class to sit in my seat, you know, their Bow Wow was, but I think Bow Wow was like nine or 10 years old <laughs> back in the day. And he was already making hit records and so forth. And so we just kind of, you know, kicked off, you know, me, I, I was on my way to work and I just started, I knew who he was. Yeah. And so, you know, my kind of father figure kind of kicked in, you know, very proud of you, continue to, you know, the hard work. Uh, make sure you do good in school and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, 20-something years later, maybe more than 20-something years, you know, I see this tweet of him that comes on to, on Twitter. And, you know, I just put out a tweet uh, to him uh, before you know it. You know, I just felt like I know this kid, you know, uh, for a long time. And, you know, again, my passion for the industry and for those that are wanting to come in, but I just feel like I'm obligated to teach them the right way. Mm. So he's not based in California, though, right? Uh, no, he's actually out there in uh, Atlanta. You right. Know? And so, but uh, he will be uh, coming down here sometime soon this month uh, to be able to start to get it going. And, and I, I'm going to train him. You know, I'm going to train him like I train all my students. You know, it's, it's for me not, you know, we know his celebrity status. But in order for him to really understand the industry, Chris, you know, we got to put that all aside, sure. you know, and to be able to really, you know, prepare him uh, for what's uh, what's about, uh, you know, to happen in the uh, in the future. He's got to understand what it is when he gets in the ring, how to, you know, protect himself, how to be a storyteller uh, that is, you know, theatrical movement, <laughs> not really getting there, punching each other in the face and so forth. So <laughs> I got it. <laughs> You know, I don't know when I when we find out, I like to say we when students come in, Chris, I, I like to find the students and the students have to find me, mm. meaning I got to see what type of athletic ability he has. You know, is he easy to to train? Meaning, does he listen well or, you know, those type of things? Does he have an attitude? Uh, is he is he coachable? You know, stuff like that. So. I think I got my work cut out from uh, opening my mouth too quick. <laughs> so Rikishi, I think a lot of people thought that this was a publicity stunt, but you're saying, no, he's actually going to come. He's actually going to train with me. As of now, you know, that's what yeah. the, that's what the talk says, you know? So, Hey, I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm very uh, excited to, you know, to be able to be a guy to be able to give him this knowledge and, and help train him. You know, for me, it's good for business. Sure. You know, if Bow Wow can come into our industry and put asses in seats in WrestleMania, why not? Why not have him come in there and, you know, and everybody should, you know, uh, you know, should kind of motivate him or help him because of him coming in or anybody coming in, either from hip hop or the movie industry, anybody that comes into our industry, obviously they're green and they need to be smartened up. Yeah. So there, there is no time for, you know, for jealousy or those that just hate on a poor guy that's just, you know, trying to come into, you know, live, you know, to live his dream. Well, he you obviously know? loves wrestling. In fact, his Twitter profile image right now is him with a WWE logo next to him. Well, tell me, Chris, who who doesn't watch WWE? I, I mean, you know what at, I mean. At some we, point in our life, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I totally understand. When he says that, uh, you know, this was a, a 
uh, childhood dream, I guess, of his to be able to one day to, you know, to do this. Why not? When is the right time for you to do it? If you got dreams that you want to accomplish, when is the right time? You, you better get out there and get it now. Now is the right time. I love that Chinese proverb. It says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is right now. Amen. Amen. So if you're going to treat him like all your other students, what happens when you walk through the doors? Any student, any brand new student that walks through the doors at your wrestling school, what happens from there? Well, you know, first of all, when they walk through, uh, to me, they're already winners in my eyes. Mm. Uh, because, uh, you know, when they, you know, it's not easy what we do, but obviously, you know, these kids walk through because they love the sport or the entertainment of professional wrestling. And so I'll sit them down and the first thing I ask them, why do you want to be a professional wrestler? And then, you know, they, same stories. Oh, I used to watch blah, blah, blah. You know, I used to love who and who and blah, 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 and all that stuff. And so and then the second thing I tell them, you know, I asked you, uh, do, you, do you have any type of athletic ability, sports background? or So I'm, you know, I'm doing all that to kind of find them. You know, a lot of them say they've never played sports before. Yeah. Some come from football, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, as I'm listening to the kids, uh, you know, give me what, what, you know, what their background is, I have a person of mine dot all these notes down. And so once that is done, and then I'll take them into the ring and I won't even run them around. I'll let them touch the ropes. I'll let them go and hit the canvas. You know, I let them touch those steel posts that they're all real. Yeah. There's nothing fake about that, you know? And then I'll just have them just start, you know, slapping the mat with their hands because every time, you know, 99% of our time we're taking those bumps, Chris, we have to protect ourselves with our hands. Yeah. And then some of them, when they slap that mat, say, oh man, this is hard. I say, yeah. And you only slapped, and you only slapped it one time, yeah. you know? And so, you know, and then that, you know, I just have them kind of, you know, uh, do just regular stuff. I, jumping jacks, squats, you know, I'll have them do like 25 of each just so I can see, you know, you know, do they blow up quick or are they in shape, you know? And so, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they'll be in there for like a half an hour, you know, and then we'll just evaluate and I say, okay, this is what it is, blah, blah, blah. And then either they come back or they don't, you know? <laughs> Let me ask you that question that you ask your students. Why did you want to be a pro wrestler? Oh, man, uh, pro wrestling saved my life. <laughs> uh, I had uh, uh, in San Francisco, California, Chris, you know, the streets of San Francisco, you know, where we were raised up back in the Bay Area. I was raised in the swamps, you know, of, of Sunnydale, which is yeah. the hood back in the Bay Area. And I'll be honest, I wasn't the best of kids that followed the rules. You know, my background, I come from uh, my my grandparents are preachers of church, you know, and then, you know, my mother was uh, the daughter of the preacher. And, you know, we go to church, we pray all the time, but I was just going the opposite, you know, and during the time there, you know, uh, it was rough back in the Bay. I was running with the wrong crowd. And uh, at 17, I got hit by a drive-by shooting. Yeah. And uh, damn near lost my life. I was dead for three minutes. Um, I woke up in an ambulance and all I could see was my mother's face. Uh, you know, I mean, being taken to the hospital. I could see my mother's face then. And so I was in the hospital for two months. 
And when I got out, my mother had made the decision that I was going to leave California. And she was sending me to her brothers, Alpha and Sika. Mm. And so I was 18 by then. And uh, away it went. So I, you know, I kind of just fell into the industry. You know, uh, my mother felt like it was time for me to leave the Bay Area. And, you know, I'm happy she made that, you know, she did do, uh, did what she did. Because who's to say, you know, me getting back out after being shot, you know, I could have been running with the same crowd again. So that's how that all started. The rest was history. The scar on your stomach is from that, which I, I don't know if everybody's aware of that. But did, was there a point in the hospital when maybe you thought, I might not make this through? I might, I might not live after this. Well, yeah. You know, it, it was really a wake up call for me. I was in there for, you know, two months. Yeah. And uh, basically, you know, the scar on my stomach, they had to cut me open. Uh, you know, because I was shattered inside, you know, inside my my insides. And uh, uh, they actually said that the bullet, it was a twenty-two, actually hit the side of my rib, which saved my heart. Had that said, my rib would not be there. <laughs> it would have went to my heart. We probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now. And so for two months, I was in the hospital, Chris, and you know, I've, you know, my kids were very, very young, the twins at the time, you know, and uh, my family members were in and out of the hospital. They were just furious. They wanted to find this son of a bitch that did what they did to me. Yeah. And, you know, I, when you're in the hospital, Chris, you have nothing but time. You can't go nowhere. Yeah. All I just, all I just seen was just, I feel like I brought a lot of pain to my family. Everybody's losing their mind. They're wanting blah blah blah. Go find this person, or whoever it is, and do damage to these people here. And then you know, I thought about you know they do stuff like that. Now, God forbid, they kill that person. Now they're going to be in prison for life and blah blah blah. And it just helped me just you know really kind of uh, uh, a wake up call that you know my life to be able to give me a second chance in life was for reason something did they ever find the guy that did it to you no wow (laughs) i wonder if he knows you know with all the fame and all the success you've had with wwe i wonder if he knows it was you well i hope one day i mean if you're watching this here uh and you think you you know who i am i would like to personally meet you and I would like to, I'm going to say this in case I, uh, I don't have, have a chance that I forgive you, man. I forgive you for what has happened to me, what you have done to me. And, you know, I hope that, you know, you can learn from, you know, from what has happened in our encounter back in the day to be able to be a better person. Wow. That is powerful. Wow. To be able to forgive someone for that. That's incredible. When you moved to in with Afa and Sika, where were they living? Well, my uncle, uh, my uncle Afa was up to in Hampton, Connecticut, which is not too far from Stanford, Connecticut. Yeah. And, and uh, Uncle Sika, he's still out there in Pensacola, Florida. You know, <laughs> so you know, I, I used to uh, when I came to Hampton, Connecticut, I she stayed with Uncle Alpha for I don't know till it got cold up there in the snow because I hated the snow. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then I would go down to Pensacola, Florida, where Uncle Seiko is at, and Uncle Seiko would have a, a ring in a backyard. You know, when you've seen that documentary of Yoko, that ring right there, that's where we had our training. We didn't have an academy, Chris, to go to. We <laughs> Everything was in the backyard, you know? Then <laughs> you know it, you knew when you moved in with him in that moment, you were going to make it. You were going to be a pro wrestler. Yeah, I didn't. You know, again, I was still green, Chris. And yeah. so when I moved in, all I know is I was just coming to Uncle Alpha, and I have no idea, you know, how to train. I have no idea what does it take to be a pro wrestler. All I know is that I've seen my uncles on TV, and I was I was scared of them, you know, because, you know, they, they look like they you know, rip people's heads off on TV. So, you know, and I keep in mind, I know my uncles, but I don't know. You know, I'm just a young kid that now all of a sudden I'm living in a, a new home that that I have no idea how my uncles are. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he he really changed my life. They both did. You know, they made me do the sometimes the, the work to tear up the ring, to tear down the ring you know, to drive the ring truck. And, you know, I used to question myself, like, damn it, I didn't come over here to, you know, be a ring truck driver or, you know, tear up the ring, tear down the like the ring crew. But, you know, they did all that for me so I could, you know, understand the hard work that comes everything with this industry. I feel you like know? if you're if you're Samoan, you have to be a wrestler. Like, I feel like that's, there's there's not many other career paths because you guys are so good at it. Well, in our family, I mean, you know, I, till this day, Chris, I think we're like uh, 18, 19 strong. It's incredible. This, this one legacy, this one bloodline. Yeah. And I always say, people ask me, why there's so many? I don't know. You know I really, I wish that some would go play football, some would go play you know, other sports, you know, we have a lot of our, our nephews now, you know, they're, they, they're able to go play other sports and stuff. But I think it's just, you know, the, the pride that they have in this, you know, from, uh, from the legacy, you know, uh, Uncle Peter Maivia, Uncle Afonsika, Yoko, The Rock, uh, Umanga. I mean, it's just that that just continue to, you know, with our young ones in the family, it's like they want to step foot into that, into that footprint and then continue to carry on, which yeah, we see today, you know, those souls, uh, uh, Roman Reigns are doing a hell of a job, you know, uh, what they're, you know, representing the family out there and let alone the rock in the movie industry. Right. You know, and then we have our young ones that are yet to be seen like Jacob Fatu who's the Tonka kid's son for MLW. Yep. You know, and I wish he would leave MLW and go to AEW or go to WWE or, or Japan. You know, there's so much that kid has to offer in this industry that he's just being locked out for now. And, you know, he needs to, you know, make the move. You know? And then I have my son, who's the Uso's third uh, uh, younger brother, Sefafatu, who's there's a lot of noise about him going to AEW as well so you know i'm very proud of all the all of our young uh, uh uh kids that are coming through the industry to 
continue on the legacy. It's an amazing family tree. And I think that some of these are pretty obvious, but if I give you a name, can you tell me your relation to that person? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously Jimmy and Jay are your sons. That's an easy one. Rosie, who's Rosie in the family tree my, for you? My, my first cousin. Okay. That's up off. But Roman Reigns. Uh, my first cousin. Okay. Everyone's going to be your cousin, I feel like, on this well, list. I, yeah. Uh, Umaga. My brother. Your brother. Yokozuna. My first cousin. <laughs> Nia Jax. She is a, a double cousin back. Second okay. cousin. Uh, how were you related to Rocky Johnson? I'm related to Rocky Johnson and through Atamaivia, who's my auntie. Okay. Okay. And then, so and then who would Peter Maivia be? He's be my uncle. He's okay. <laughs> it's, it's, I got him all for you, man. I know. I, I've got more for you. What about Lance? <laughs> uh, Lance is my nephew. That's uh, my, my first cousin, Samu, <laughs> who's the head shrieker. That's his young baby. Okay. <laughs> So my uh, nephew, what about Jimmy Snuka? Jimmy Snuka, he's my my uncle. <laughs> uh, so Tamina, there's so many of us. I got a fake fake, you know. <laughs> I know this is great. So how are you related to Tamina? Tamina's related to me. She's my cousin from Jimmy Snuka. <laughs> what is, what's your relation to The Rock? The Rock is my. The Rock is anti. Um, <laughs> yeah, hold on, there's a lot of one. He's my cousin, through Auntie. Uh, um, yes, through <laughs> And then uh, Jacob. Oh, he's my nephew. That's the Tonga kid's son. I, the Tonga did I? Kid is my did brother. I, did I miss anybody here? Um. Uh, Stefa. Huh. Okay, Stepha yeah, and then we, 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 we talked about offense, Sika being your uncles. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is this legacy is unbelievable. It's a, Chris, it's a freaking reality show. I'll tell you that, man. It should be. It's on your you chest know? right there. Samoan dynasty. Yeah, I wear it proudly. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's the thing about like when you say us or you say uso, like family means so much more to somebody like you. Yeah, you know, Chris, it's our culture, man. You know, becoming from Polynesian, being raised up in a household of, of faith and culture. You know, yeah. everything starts within our living room. And, you know, even though, you know, this family legacy comes from different angles, different gimmicks, as we walk through that squared circle, we never forget who we are, you know, the core mm -hmm. of where this family comes from. And, you know, it's, it's pride. Uh, you know, it's it's the it's the reminding of us of why we are out there. You know, to be able to you know represent you know where we come from. As you know, back in the day, a lot of people didn't know who Samoans were. You know, you have Uncle Uncle Peter Maivia and Uncle Alpha. You know, they were the ones that you know put put Samoans on the map as far as in professional wrestling. And so you can imagine that we coming into after them, man, that was a lot of freaking pressure, man. Yeah. So, sometimes I wanted to quit. Sometimes I said this is not for me. But then you know, you know what I 
think about, you know, why I was sent there, you know, as far as for my mother and so forth and my, my parents, you know, there was no turning back. You know, there's no quit in some moments. You know, when you meet you, you realize just how big you are. Like you're a big dude. And I'm really curious to know, were you always a big dude? Like, were you a big kid? Oh, no, man. I mean, I was a slim kid back in the day. Uh, I don't believe Chris. it. Yeah, I was. I mean, I, I have to take some photos. But anyhow, um, no, I, I, I was probably like, I don't know, maybe about uh, 200 pounds, maybe 180 pounds back in the day in high school. And I really start to, you know, put on weight uh, when I turned 18. Uh, you know, I was actually in that environment with my Uncle Alpha. And every morning, Uncle Alpha would wake us up at 7 a.m. in Hampton, Connecticut, be it snow, raining, or sunny, that we would go to the powerhouse gym and I would train with the likes of, you know, Tony Correa, uh, Ivan Pusky, the powerhouse. You know, we were there at, uh, with some of the SD Jones. These are names way back in, you know, way back in the yeah. day. We were a young kid, but that was our atmosphere. You know, I came from a city, city boy to all of a sudden in an atmosphere where everything is working. Like, you know, training early in the morning, come back, put up the ring get in the ring, start training till the sun, you know, comes out, tear that freaking ring back down and then repeat the cycle over and over. Now, you know, those type of atmospheres, you know, was, was new to me, you know, and when you start taking protein and you're starting, you know, your uncle's having you eat, you know, like a lot of tuna, a lot of rice and barbecue chicken. It really, I'm just a, you know, 18 year old kid and I've never, Next thing you know, Chris, I start to like what I start to see in a mirror. I start poking up, kind of look like a yeah. bodybuilder, you know? You know, knowing what you know about the industry, both good and bad, were you apprehensive to let Jimmy and Jay get into it? Very. Hmm. Very. I didn't, I didn't want my, because, you know, their upbringing and my upbringing is totally different. You know, the boys there, you get a chance to go to college, you got a chance, you know, they lived a good life. You know, their father, I got out there and I did what I had to do so my kids wouldn't come up the way I came up. And, you know, Jimmy and Jay, they've been around the business all their lives, Chris, you know. Yeah. Uh, they, they were everywhere. It was just in them. And, you know, I just wanted them to do something different. Like the plan at, at my age during the time was like at 46 that I wanted to be on the sideline of 40 uh, on NFL, either or team. I just wanted to get an RV and I wanted to travel to all their games. And, you know, and so one day I was on the road, I came home and uh, they both sat me down and, you know, they wanted to, you know, they threw that, that, <laughs> that curveball to me and said that they didn't want to play football. They wanted to join the family business. Mm. So, you know, it was difficult for me because I knew if I went against it, then it wasn't going to work. You know, it wasn't going to work out. And so as a father, you always try to support. It might not be my decision, but you always try to support your kid's decision to be able to give them that, you know, knowing that, okay, you're going to do what, what, what I do, but I'm going to tell you, this is not, it's not easy, man. 
you got to get ready to all the stuff you see me come home and drop my bags at the door, can barely walk through the bedroom. You're going to understand why there's some nights that I come home, I don't feel like talking. I just want to get to my bed or my recliner, you know, and just put my stuff down and just get some rest. And you, know, you might feel like I'm not paying attention to you, but the life that you live on the road when you come home, it's your peace of mind. It's your way to get away from all the chaos, all the bullshit, all the politics, and all the everything. Yeah. I just want to be safe in my home, and you're going to understand why. Like so, but they've they've been into the industry 12 years, and I'm very proud of both of them. Do you think if they continued playing football, that there's a chance we would have seen them in the NFL? Oh, most definitely. Huh. Most definitely. You know, but you know that the. the the plan was that they go to make a name for themselves in the NFL. Yeah. By the time they make a name for themselves in the NFL, they'll come to WWE because I know how WWE is. They'll bring a person with a name in there, like, you know, uh, for that cat that came from New England Patriots. Um, Rob Gronkowski? Gronkowski. You're coming. You can imagine what type of money they paid him. And he didn't even know how to work. And so, you know, that for me was the plan for my boys is to go play NFL. That way, you know, you live that. You can all, you can say, okay, I've done that. You know, my parents are happy that we did that. Now we jump over here. But by the time they jump over here, it, you don't have to go through all the other system of being a new cat in WWE because you're already a superstar in the NFL league. You can write your, write your ticket with, with WWE. So if you know me, you know how much I love sleep. I talk about it all the time because I know how important sleep is, which is why I prioritize it every night. But life is too short to sleep between anything less than really nice sheets. But maybe you looked at some retailers and saw just how expensive good sheets are. Trust me, go check out Brooklinen. So Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't find them, they founded Brooklinen as the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without those luxury-level markups. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and your taste. I have their Lux sheets in white with the solid graphite duvet cover. Not only does it look amazing, but I've never slept better. Brooklinen has over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting, and they're so confident that you'll love their products. They even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. Go to brooklinen.com. Use the promo code INSIGHT. You'll get $25 off when you spend $100 or more Plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Enter the promo code INSIGHT, like the name of the show, and you'll get $25 off when you spend $100 or more. Plus free shipping. That's brooklinen.com. Use the promo code INSIGHT at checkout. For you, what was the first like real break in your wrestling career when did things really start clicking for you you know what i i, I want to say at the beginning of my career okay and what I, what i mean about that chris it was that the lessons learned 
you know, coming into this industry with my uncle. I'm so, so blessed to have my uncles be the one there for me, you know, and then, you know, to have our family circle so tight, you know, when I first came into the industry, you know, I've learned so much about what it is to smoke some air. And I, I started when I was 18. I turned pro when I was 20. It only took me a couple of years at 20 years old. And then I'm traveling, going to Texas, the Von Erics. I'm going to Puerto Rico with Carlos Colon. You know, I'm going over to Egypt where I have no idea. But all these different experiences that my uncle has, has taken uh, us to, it really helped me prep for the WWE, mm. or for WCW. So by the time we came to the big time, we were 23, 24. We were young, I mean, strong horses that the big companies look for to be able to dance with their big stars who they got going on. And so when we came through, it, it wasn't, it, I was so used to making $30, Chris. <laughs> by the time I got, I, by the time I got to the WWE and made the big contract, yeah. it didn't, it didn't phase me at all. You know what I mean? It didn't because I was already, I, the value of the dollar of making $30, you know, the hard work that we did on the independent, See, now when I come there and do the hard work there, you know, it's just the extra to us. And our job was to stay, you know, stay employed, stay away from all the drama and just protect every time we jump in the ring. Mm. My uncle used to say, you respect that square circle. Mm. If you respect the square circle, you're going to have a job for a long time, meaning the passion, the pride the the you know the will to be the best damn tag team or the best performer there that's going to keep that weekly paycheck coming and the office is going to see it right i mean things were obviously going really well in your career but too cool must have really changed everything for you oh yeah i mean you know that that era when that happened with me scotty and uh uh and brian you know rest rest is uh, rest in peace for brian you know, that was kind of like, when that hit, Chris, I knew it was okay. It's all gravy from here. I mean, I was getting paid to stick my ass in people's faces and bust a move. <laughs> and dance. all these years, Chris, it took me breaking my body, bumping, getting hit with chairs, getting hit with, I mean, you name it. And then finally, this is what takes me over overboard, was backing that ass up and busting the move you know it's time time changes i guess you know and i'm yeah. very grateful <laughs> i'm very grateful and thankful that you know all, all the fans out there just you know they really they really made us feel made me feel that it's okay for me to be my size it's okay for me to have a thong on there and do what i do i, I must be the toughest man to to wear a damn thong in professional were you, wrestling. Like, was, were you the one that came up with the idea that that was going to be your ring attire? Oh, no. No, that was uh, that was all Vince McMahon and his creative crew. You know, keep in mind, you know, I was the Sultan before that. Yeah. And you were wearing a mask. Yeah. So the Sultan gimmick didn't even last long. You know, I signed a four-year deal 
being assaulted and I came on TV and I was crushing everybody every Monday night raw. I think Chris, it was like two months and I was killing people on TV. Next, you know, uh, they plan to go the opposite way where I think Brett turned heel and then, you know, um, he was going up against the Patriot. So who better to put the Patriot over than the guy from the Middle East? Sure. Set him up for Brett. And then when that happened, I was done. I told him, so where do we go from here now? They said, we'll go back to the drawing board. Hmm. But I just signed a contract for four years. So I didn't make no... <laughs> I didn't, I didn't make no noise about anything. I just stayed out the way, you know, got a weekly paycheck for damn near three and a half years uh, to stay home, you know. And during that last 90-day clause, before your contract is over, I went and I actually wrestled Kurt Angle in Memphis. That's when Kurt Angle was just starting out in Memphis for Jerry Lawler. Yeah. And when uh, they came down there, Bruce Pritchard seen me, and I was every bit of, you know, that weekly paycheck being off for three and a half months. It was not but barbecuing every week and having a good time. Um, he seen me. I was every bit of like 450, I believe it is. Wow. But I could still move, you know. I was still just real light on my feet. You know, I didn't feel no, you know, I didn't feel like anything, you know, wrong with me as far as inside. I could still breathe. You know, I didn't have no problem carrying my weight. And, uh, Bruce, uh, by the time I came back from TV, having that match with Kurt, they said that uh, Vince wanted to have a meeting with me. Hmm. And that's what, that's what happened. We had that meeting. And then the way we went, you know, with the ideas that he wanted to, when he came up with the idea with wanting to do a sumo, for, as soon as he said sumo, Chris, I thought of my cousin Yoko. Of course. And I was like, nah. I don't, I, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do a sumo character when my cousin already done it and just do the respect for Yoko. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, he came up and he wanted to do the whole, you know, yours will be different. I want to do the whole where you show your button, like where the shoot sumo gear. Now, when he said that, <laughs> <laughs> Now, when he said that, I said, do you mean like this, you know, everything just show just your butt, my buttocks just wide on TV? Yeah, just the real thing, you know, the whole new blah, blah, blah. And I was like, right off the back, you know, I said, hmm. Hmm. Now, keep in mind, I'm like 90 days out from this other Sultan contract. Now, here's the part here. Now, if you kids are out there, you're going to listen about this industry, when to make your move and when to sit back and shut your mouth. And so you're 90 days out, Chris, the numbers come up and then all of a sudden the sumo gear is different from what Yoko, because Yoko had the whole tights on. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I said, okay, hmm, that's good. The first thing I thought about was my kids. Like what, you know, you know, in high school, school in general, kids are ruthless to other kids. I didn't want kids to, you know, start ripping my kids at school. Hey, you're, ah, your dad, blah, blah, blah. So I took the drawing home. I told Vince, I was, you know, let me think about it, you know, and I'll get back to you. I took the drawing home. I had dinner on the table. I pulled those drawings out and said, listen, here's the deal here. This is going to be my new character. 
And I want to know from you kids there, will you guys be upset if I wear something like this on TV? They both, they all sold it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> hey, that, you want to do it? That's, that's up to you. It's all good. You know, I said, that's all I had to hear. The rest of the things in my mind, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to take this character because I already knew people when they see me come out there, I knew people were going to be smirking. There was going to be a lot of heckling and blah, 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 even in the locker room. Yeah. I already knew that was going to come. But in my mind, I'm going to take this character and I'm going to make this work. Mm. You know, because for me, I'm just getting through with this four year contract from the Sultan. Now I'm going to get, you know, coming to this second, second, uh, this next contract. And I want to make this character work to the best. So I asked to change up a few things as far as the sumo character. And that's where you see the, the blonde hair come through. And then all of a sudden we talked about, okay, what would a sumo do, you know, after their matches? Let's go ahead and bust a move. I used to dance in, I used to dance for money anyways in the Bay Area, Pier 39, when I was 15, 14 years old. Right. And so I thought, it, you know, it would be cool for, you know, for me, Scotty, and Brian to, you know, to, you know, to treat people with a, you know, with a dance or something like that. Because you never, you know, you never seen those before. Yeah. It's always after somebody wins in professional wrestling, Chris, that's it. Raise your hand. Yeah. Leave. So we wanted to give them something special. And then, you know, the rest was history. When the stink face came, that was it. Every, everything. Well, everything. Where, where did the stink face come from? So, <laughs> you know, I'm still trying to find this old lady from Mobile, Alabama. Uh, if you're out there, this has been about 25 years. If you're out there watching, <laughs> listening, thank you. I love you. I, I owe you, you know, I owe you everything for just telling me what you said that night. And so I wrestled the uh, boss man in Mobile, Alabama on the house show. And uh, I've been doing house shows with this gimmick on, with the thong. And, you know, that old thing where you clothesline somebody and they, in the corner. And, you know, boss man fell to that stink face position as we know it today. Yeah. So when he fell, all of a sudden, now keep in mind, Chris, there's like, you know, 20,000 people in the arena. But all I heard, I didn't know Bossman fell down in that position. And all I heard was, Rikishi, Rikishi, turn around and stick your body in his face. And I'm like, I'm like, this is where that look comes from, to where I'm kind of looking slowly, because I'm looking in the front row Who's saying that? Who's yelling that? And as I turned around and I turned around and I seen Bossman in that corner, and I just, when I took the first step, Chris, you can hear like the pop of the crowd. It kind of came up. Took the next step, it came up higher. By the time I got to him and I turned around, it was like a pop that I've never, ever heard in my career. Like, damn, this is what it feels like. 
And it was just, it was there, you know, it was, the people are ready. And all I can hear, boss man, now keep in mind, we have never done this move before, me and boss man. <laughs> boss man says, all right, baby, go ahead and stick that booty in my face. We got him now. We got him now. And I, went, I said, you sure? He said, bring it on, baby. Oh, bless his heart. He took that damn stink face like a champ, man. And that, that was on a Sunday, Chris. The next day was Monday Night Raw. Yeah. And that's when the stink face was introduced to the world. <laughs> what a story. Ain't that something? That's amazing, Rikishi. So, lady, if you are out there, old lady grandma, I don't know what your name is. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love you. Who had the biggest problem with taking the stink face? I, I think it was a lot of the guys, man. Well, sure. Yeah, a yeah. Lot of, yeah, a lot of the guys. Well, you know, keep in mind, here's here's the turnaround. Now, while we're doing this show, I hope a lot of you wrestlers that are listening out there because the youngsters. And so keep in mind, Chris, I mentioned this about, I already knew people were going to laugh about me coming through with the thumb. So when the roster see me come back in this new outfit, everybody thought it was a rip. Hmm. Every single bite, but nobody would say it to my face. You can feel it, you know, because my ass get hot when I walk by people. I can feel like they're staring at it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and let's get, let's be real. My my buttocks is not the most beautiful buttocks in the world, but here are the people, you know, the roster. They won't say it to your face, but in in our industry, everything they think is a rip when somebody changes their character. It's like oh, they're coming back again to try. So whatever the case, but let it all, they didn't know that Rikishi was going to be one of the biggest stars in the in the industry of the Attitude Era. And so every single person, which they didn't know, that I can I can hear the heckling. And you know, I hear it, but I don't know who did. All I remember who's who's sitting in that in, you know in the hallway. By the time I got to come to the stink face, Chris, I always knew like if I'm wrestling somebody that, you know, that night, you know, I would come, there would be like some fried rice on my chair because they knew I like chicken fried rice. And they knew, so when they start prepping it up, like, because they knew I had to give them a steak face. That's just, just part of the Rikishi character, you know. So there, there were times where a lot of the guys, you know, they took it because they understood their role. It was my time, you know. And when they take it, you can tell those that take it straight up, like Booker T, shout out to Booker T. When Booker T took it, he took it head up. You know, when uh, The Rock took it, he took it head up. Kurt Angle, head up. You know, so a lot of guys, they understood. They, they didn't want to take it, but they knew, like, if Vince McMahon was going to take it, and we all seen how that happened, Rock took Vince's face and just shoved it all the way up and Vincent said, boss, he said, Rikishi, I hope you clean your buttocks today. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like Rock pushed Vince's face so hard into your ass. I felt like Vince was going to break his nose. Oh, man, when you're live, you're live. Live, man. You know what I mean? I mean, that was one of the most iconic. I think we that was when we shut down the Kiss My Ass Club. And that was the way to do it right there. I mean, he took it like a champ. Yeah. Was there anyone that ever said, no, I'm not doing that spot? 
I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I honestly, you know, I didn't have to worry about none of that. You know what I mean? Because none of, nobody would come tell me my face. You know, keep in mind, Chris, I'm Samoan before I'm a wrestler. You know, if we all know Samoans, we don't back down from shit. You know what I mean? And, you know, we're good. We're good people. We're business people. I mean, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're warriors, man. And, you know, from our culture, it is respect level is a huge thing. You know, we're not the type of people that lie. We're, we're truthful type of people. What you say is, you know, we believe you. But when we find out that, man, you just, you played us or you tried to play us, now everything turns left, you know? And mm-hmm. so we had that type of reputation in the business. And, uh, you know, I thank my uncles, uh, Peter Maivia and Alfonsica, you know, for paving the type of way. Because, again, when they came and gave us that knowledge, you know, we carried that into the locker room. And mm. the era changes all the time. Like what used to be the same for their era was different in our era with Yoko Rock. And, and then Umaga's era was different now with, you know, Roman and um, uh, uh, Jimmy and Jay. It's just a whole new different era. You know, it's just different when you walk through their locker rooms nowadays. It's a whole new different vibe. But, you know, shout out to them for continuing to, you know, you know, lacing their boots up and continue to do what they do as far as the legacy in the family. Yeah. You know, when you talk about not backing down from anything, that spot when you fell off Hell in a Cell is so terrifying to watch. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine doing that. Yeah. You know, I, I uh, all I can say was, you know, when you love something, uh, when you were prepped up for, you know, anything that uh, the industry throws at you, you know, and the smarts, I knew that I wasn't the person that was going over in that match. Uh, but I also knew that what can I do uh, to be able to steal that away and have people years, of, you know, years down the line talk about. Yeah, now, I was, uh, you know, I was, no doubt I was. It was very nerve wracking. Um, you know, I've watched the Mick Foley come off the top of the hell in the cell and God bless him, man. I mean, he's put his body so much for this industry that, you know, I always say 30 seconds, an accident can happen. And he could have died in any one of those big boom bumps that he'd taken. And so it was my time. It was my time to come and, you know, you know, take his known to throwing somebody off the hell in the cell. But I've never knew that when my time would come, it'll be like, you know, taking a bump backwards onto a flatbed, steel flatbed. And it's there's no rewind from that, Chris. Yeah. You know, meaning that, you know, when he grabbed me, you know, uh, my last words with him was to tell my family I love him. It, you know what I mean? It was weary. It was, but you can hear the crowd. They're exploding. It's that moment. Kishi. You can't turn back now. This is what you signed up for. This is what you trained for. This is what the people, you know, they paid their hard-earned money to come watch you guys do what you do best. And these are the chances that you take as a pro wrestler when that time comes in. You know, I'm thankful. I'm happy. I'm grateful that I was safe and that, you know, they'll continue to play 
my high spot through in the hell in the cell years to come. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, people will remember that spot. Most people can't tell you who won that match, though. There it is, and yeah. they, that's exactly that's exactly what you know what the mindset is. Yep. Like you know, my uncles used to tell us, it's not who wins, son. You know, it's 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 what people remember. If yep. you're in there getting your heat on a person, you know, it's you get your heat so well and so believable that people forget to finish. Yeah. And that was my mindset that day. So yeah, but don't try that. And it was Shane McMahon that walked you through that spot and made you realize yeah. that it was okay. Yeah, let's give credit to what credit's due. You know, that <laughs> Shane actually went up there and um you know, they asked me, do I want to do it? Meaning practice it. And I said, no. I, I, I wanted to go just, you know, when the time is right. You know, meaning during showtime. But he would, he got up and he kind of just, uh, he, he did it like as if, you know, he does that all the time. He's just fearless of uh, heights and stuff like that, you know. And uh, got up. He kind of took walked me through it. And I'm standing down from the cage looking up <laughs> and it's a say it's very easy you know just stop back you know just you, you'll be standing like this you just take a take a step backwards and then your whole body will just go you know just fall where it falls i was like my mind i hope that truck is in the right place where because i'm 400 something pounds you know what i mean i'm double the weight that he is but he did it i think he did a couple times you know and then, and they asked me, did I, you know, I said, would you like to try it now? I'll go ahead and do it when it's showtime, you know. And, and there it is when I got up there and it's like, damn it, I think I should have tried this before. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> it was too late. I mean, it was too late then. It was time to go. But even with the padding, how much did that bump hurt? It hurt, man. I mean, yeah. honestly, it really, I'm 400. I was 450 or 425 during the time, Chris. And they had padding there. I think it was, the padding was like three feet and then a lot of hay on top of that. Yeah. But when you're coming from a 50-foot high cage at 450 pounds, I hit every bit of that steel metal plate in the back of the flatbed. And you could see the whole truck like just went to the, you know, went to the springs, you know. And um you know, when you watch it very close, I didn't know if I made it. I was so, I was so, you know, full of anxiety, energy, you know, in the moment when I land, you know, you can see my lips are just like they were shaking. Hmm. And then the first thing I was trying to do was move my toes just to feel if I have any type of, you know, feeling in my body. And I was just laid out and, they drove that freaking flatbed in the back by the locker room as we came towards the gorilla. And there was a standing ovation there. You know, all the boys, were, you know, Vince, the whole crew stand up. Even Shane came in, you know, came and congratulate for the bump that, you know, I, I hit the bump right solid. So I was like, man, it, it was a rush. You know, but I said, I'm only going to do that one time. And that was the last time I did. <laughs> I was always so blown away in the way you took a clothesline. Like you took a clothesline like a cruiserweight. Yeah, well, you know, I, I wanted at my size, 
you know, they always say that they stereotype, they look at big people and they think that we can't move. Big people can't move in general. And I wanted to learn something like a 150 pound guy do something. And so I took time uh, learning that, that 360. At my weight, every time I turned, Chris, I used to go head first because I was so heavy. Sure. Do it again. And I do it in all the house shows. A lot of boys, like, damn, man, you're going to break your neck. You're going to break. But I was so determined to, to perfect that move that one day I just found it. And I kept doing it and kept doing it. And then it was my stepping and my footing and my timing to where when the guy gives me that clothesline, you're not to stop. I wanted you to go all the way through. And, and so, you know, once I found the technique, there was my, my wow move. So I could say you never see a 450-pound guy do a 360. <laughs> was there ever a point in your WWE career where they said, oh, you've gotten big enough, like maybe it's time to slim down? Uh, you know, I mean, my last character was the Rikishi. Yeah. You know, and so there was never a point to where I couldn't, like I wasn't holding my own. It, it felt different, you know, uh, at 450, uh, you know, when you're going every night. Now I know at 450 when I was in Memphis, I wasn't working that much every night. You know, I wasn't on the road. So, of course, I had energy to, you know, to go. But when you're on the road, 200 something days out of the year, Chris, after a while, that 450 starts to kind of, all right. Now, I, I felt it in my knees, you know what I mean? Sometimes in my ankles, but, you know, I never, I never exposed it to anybody. Yeah. You know, I never, you know, in this industry, I'm, I'm trained to, if, if, uh, if I'm hurt, nobody would know it in our family mm. because, you know, we were trained to, you know, the day you let the promoters know you're hurt and now you might be out the door, they're going to bring somebody else in. Now you don't miss that paycheck. Yeah. But Rikishi, being on the road as much as you were, what's what's flying on a plane look like when you weigh 450 pounds? Oh, geez. <laughs> it's sleep to me. <laughs> you, you know, it was, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, they, they put me up front. Okay. You know, I was always up in first class. So, you know, but sometimes, Chris, and those that are listening, first class is not what first class is, you know? It's just, yeah, you get all the little perks and stuff. But I used to sometimes, like, I knew certain flights and I would take my first class and give it to one of the boys. And then uh, so I can have a, an aisle and a middle seat where it's more comfortable for me, mm. you know? But of course, I took all my drinks and my food in the back <laughs> from first class. <laughs> so. Do you think with, with the momentum that your character had, do you think that you deserve to have a title shot or a title run? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, that was one thing that, that you know, I wish uh, that would have happened. I just wanted to have that shot uh, to become the you know, world champion. At least one time. You know, yeah. if you're in this industry and not... <laughs> not shooting for the top like that, then you're in the wrong industry. It's time yeah. for you to get, get your priorities straight. You know, even though a lot of people may seem think it's a work and so forth, but you can tell those, they put the belt on certain people for a reason, you know, and if you're not fighting to perfect your craft, to really get, get a look at, you know, have, have the company, the bookers, the promoters be able to have that look on you, then you're not working 
working hard enough to, now you're not understanding of this industry. And so, you know, had I been able to turn it back around, Chris, yeah, I would have loved to have a, have a, you know, a match against The Rock or Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, for the title and beat him. Mm. And beat him on a big grand stage of uh, WrestleMania. And, you know, the rest, everything else, you know, I'm thankful. You know, I've won the Intercontinental Belt. I've won, you know, the tag team multiple times in different companies. But it's nothing like winning the main, the main belt, you know. Yeah. So, so let's hope one of my boys, you know, will win it for me or something, you know. Well, does does Roman kind of count? Oh yeah, he count. But I mean, I, my own that comes from my seed, you yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> but what what does being inducted in the Hall of Fame mean? What what did that mean to you? I thank all of you guys. That really meant a lot to me. Um, you know, just to be able to be acknowledged and appreciated of all the work that, you know, that I've been through in this, in this crazy uh, industry of professional wrestling. Um, it's that attachment between me and the fans that they acknowledge me. And, you know, I, I, I really, you know, miss the fans. I don't miss the business of wrestling, of all the politics and all the traveling, but I miss you guys. Mm. You guys were like the fuel and you probably hear it all the time but you never i never get to say that you guys were the fuel for me to be able to you know help make me love myself for what i'm doing out there that every time that there was a boo or a cheer you know it felt that i felt that connections with the fans and being a rikishi character you know that character was uh was a fun loving character yeah like it was a happy guy you know that just when it's time to have fun he has fun but when it was time to go bass you know he can run with the best of them and you know to be able to be inducted into the hall of fame uh, that was all the fans and i i thank you all for uh for loving me and supporting me through my career how much do you miss your blonde hair i don't I'm happy in my scalp for 27 years, Chris, I had to bleach the thing and, you know, it burns inside your scalp. You know what I mean? I'm not a natural blonde. So as you see now, I'm kind of going back to my old, you know, what I started with, you know? And so it feels good to wear, you know, um, my wife likes it. She doesn't have to bleach my hair anymore. <laughs> you look a little more like Yoko now. Yeah, well, I'm back to the natural, the way I used to look. Yeah. You know? That's one thing about all our family members. You know, my grandmother's genes, which is often Sika's mother, right? And uh, her genes is so strong. Like all our features, we kind of look the same. If you really look at all our features in this part, everybody looks kind of the same. So, you know, of course, you know, our grandfather was a preacher, man. He was a preacher, but I, I think my grandfather was a wrestler before because, man, he'd preach the Bible a word to you. But if you stepped out of line, man, he, he wouldn't hesitate to knock you out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I've interviewed your sons. I've interviewed Jimmy and Jay. I've interviewed The Rock uh, many times. They look so similar in person. Yeah. Hate it. That's weird, you know, but 
that's a good thing, you know. When I, when I interviewed Jimmy and Jay, they said that when you first started doing the stink face, they were like, "Oh man," they were a little embarrassed by it. Well, of course, you know. I mean, I would too, you know. But hey, when you understand the industry, like, hey, I'm out there doing what I got to do to put food on the table for my family. Like, I get it. Yeah, I know that professional wrestling is sports entertainment. Sure. You understand? So by all many, by all means. Whatever they throw at you, and this goes back to our training. Like you are that damn good enough that whatever character the company throws on you, you can get that character yeah. over. Not too many people can do yeah. that. There's been so many great takeaways from this, Rikishi. I, I wanna I wanna thank you for spending this last hour with us. You know, Chris, thank you, man. Thank you for opening up your platform. Uh, you know, I love doing these type of shows is to be able to help you know, bring awareness to to the business that I love so much that has taken care of me and my family. But I also am also uh, utilize this platform is to be able to each one teach one. Like the kids mm -hmm. that you are coming into the industry of professional wrestling, that make sure you take time to listen, you know, to these type of shows. Uh, when you run into OGs that are in the independent scene, you know, don't just not go talk to them. Don't don't think that we don't want to talk to you. Mm. You know, we're at our time in our life in our age is that we want to teach you kids to be able to, you know, understand the industry. And you guys have it so much good today that we don't want you to lose the opportunity because you're not smart how to conduct yourself in this industry. Yeah. I end every interview by asking my guests. What are three things that you're grateful for in your life right now? My family. Me living. And my new grandkids. Mm. I love it. Rikishi, this has been such an honor, an honor such a pleasure, such a privilege. Thank, Thank you, you so much for this. And I look forward to coming to your school in person. Absolutely. You got me, man. You got my number. Let's link up sometime soon, man. Continue Let's do it. To, continue to do the good work. Thank you so much. All right. God bless you, Chris. Bye-bye. All right, my friends. Thank you so much for being with us on this one. The name of the show is Insight, and I feel like it's so fitting after our conversation like this. Man, Rakishi was bringing it. I feel like I, feel like I teared up a little bit when he was telling that story about forgiving the person who shot him in the drive-by. That was, that was powerful. Please share this with someone who needs some inspiration in their lives. Take a screenshot, tag us on social media so we can say hi and so we can retweet it. I'm at Chris Van Vliet. Rikishi is at The Real Rikishi. And his story of forgiveness made me think of my favorite quote from Nelson Mandela, which I'll leave you with. Not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Hmm. Be great. Be grateful. We will see you on the next one for some more insight.